0: We are told that more and more Americans describe themselves as spiritual but not religious. These are people who pursue a spiritual path with no involvement in any organized religion. I get a mental image of someone reading and studying in his living room and possibly taking part in an online blog community. This phenomenon comes in the context of widely reported declines in Sunday church attendance in the U.S. We are also seeing gradual membership declines in most of the mainline denominations. For this morning's discussion, I'm defining religious as a person who regularly participates in an established or traditional denominations local congregation. I should probably stipulate right at the outset that developing a spiritual life on one's own is possible. With so many books available, one can find materials on almost anything that might interest you. You can also find online communities that provide a place to discuss what you've read and perhaps point you to other books and authors. And you can do it on your own calendar, your own schedule. There is quite a bit available and the demands that are made on you are slight. Now, I would contend that while this approach will allow you to develop a spiritual life, there are gaps, or at least lost opportunities. First of all, it's easy to avoid differing opinions and challenges to your set of beliefs. Some online groups are very contentious, but others can become echo chambers, where a small group of people just keep agreeing with each other. In the contentious groups, the differing opinions can be so far apart that there's no common ground. So it becomes very difficult to carry on a real conversation that might actually force you to rethink your ideas. You're more likely to learn from someone who is in partial agreement with you, but who deserves or who disagrees with one or two facets of the discussion. There also has to be a certain level of trust and civility if you're going to risk having your beliefs challenged. Since these situations are so unlikely to list exist online, any flimsy or superficial ideas you hold are likely to go untested. Ideas that deserve to be punctured and dismantled are likely to remain. Even if your online community and solo study don't give your ideas the acid test, Life will. Your faith will fail you right when you need it. Ideas that have been properly tested are either replaced or reaffirmed. They are much more likely to serve you when the next crisis inevitably arrives. Secondly, when you go it alone, you have little or no support. People you meet online may provide some, but it is still essentially a lonely pursuit. While you may prefer that most of the time, you will have no community to turn to if and when you feel the need. More on this later. Third, it's hard to turn faith into action all by yourself. Being part of a like-minded community gives you many more opportunities. It is not, or should not be, enough to sit in your living room and be a wise and enlightened person. You are the only one that benefits from that. It takes some sort of action to serve others, to make your faith make a difference. Fourth, and perhaps most importantly, there is no human contact associated with your spiritual life. It seems to me that spirituality in a near vacuum must feel hollow. There can be no substitute for face-to-face human contact. The contact you have in the rest of your life is in a different context. It may be possible to test out a few ideas you've developed about how to deal with a certain situation or a certain kind of person, but you will still lack a safe place to discuss something like this first. So, if you want to be spiritual and religious, what does religion offer? What makes it worth getting out of bed on Sunday and reporting to church at the hour that someone else has chosen to have worship. At this point, I think it would be useful to consider where the word religion comes from. Most scholars say that it originated with the Latin word religare, which means to bind fast. Now, there are many UUs who have fled from the bonds of other traditions. For some of us, these bonds were like cast iron, rough, constraining, and unyielding. Others, like me, came from a tradition where the bonds were warmer and more gentle, but they just don't fit anymore. Others of us have come in from the cold, seeking bonds and connections that they had never experienced before. I believe that our UU traditions provide the kind of bonds that connect us without constraining us. These bonds can be strong and flexible at the same time. Rather than the image of cast iron, the bonds here are more like silk, strong and flexible. Silk is valued for its beauty and its strength. Properly cared for, silk can last for the lifetime of the wearer. As a natural product, the forces of life constantly are replacing the supply, but it takes skilled hands to collect it, and to weave it into a fabric. The same can be said of a congregation. As a living organism, it is always replenishing itself, but it takes skill, attention, and loving hands to shape its growth. Now let me hasten to add that Unitarian Universalists are not the only ones who can make such a claim about the bonds we create here. There are other denominations that do this too. A congregation provides a safe place to create these bonds. We can create many or a few. One inescapable fact is that bonds run in both directions. Except for young children, one-sided bonds may be formed, but they soon wither and die without the nourishment of two-way traffic. A congregation, like any community, requires us to give as we take. What we give depends on our talents and our comfort levels. But some sort of giving is required. Back when travel was difficult and letter writing was an art, we know that some people managed to form friendships that were based almost entirely on correspondence. For most of us, though, being part of a community requires face-to-face contact. Blog postings and text are becoming more common, but I submit to you that they can never substitute for a warm handshake or a gentle word. So, if you decide to take the small risk and the great opportunity that comes from being part of a community, what do you get and what should you give? When it comes to developing your spiritual life, you get practical and moral support. You get everything from discussion groups and book ideas to the pleasure of sitting next to kindred spirits as you learn and grow you expose yourself to the risk that someone might put forth ideas and facts that might shake and rattle the things you hold dear you take that risk in as safe an environment as we know how to provide but your ideas and your beliefs can still get shaken up you might find yourself leaving old ideas behind as you take on new ones You may also find that some of your ideas have been challenged and emerged stronger than ever before. The odds are you'll experience both. I would also point out that discussions carried on in person tend to be more civil and constructive than online. Some of the excessive language you see posted online is very difficult to deliver face-to-face, especially when you know you'll be seeing each other week after week. This is not to say that people are afraid to disagree, especially you use. It simply means congregation members tend to be more moderate in their choice of words. It is also possible to use tone of voice and other nonverbal clues when you're together. I believe the current phrase we use for that is speaking the truth with love. In addition to support and challenges, the next thing you get is serendipity. Since someone else chooses the sermon topic for each Sunday, you will be exposed to issues and concerns that are new to you. Some will intrigue you, and some will unsettle you. You are more likely to grow in directions you would not have anticipated. You will almost certainly find yourself facing issues you would never have encountered on your own. The fourth benefit has been mentioned before, synergy. Turning your faith into action is easier and is likely to be much more effective if you do it in a congregational context. Next Saturday's park cleanup is an excellent example. During the inaugural project in April, dozens of us gathered to work at Catoctin Creek Park. We got a lot done, we enjoyed a belated lunch, and got to know each other better, particularly the large number of kids. All of that requires a community effort, with some able leadership getting it started. Most importantly, we accomplish more than we ever could have done by ourselves. A full and complete faith is not just the life of the mind, even with a layer of service added in. It seems to me that your faith has to be there for you in times of joy and in times of crisis. It also seems to me that faith calls us to be there for each other in times of joy and in times of crisis. We might be able to experience joy in private, but we cannot share it, nor can we comfort or be comforted. The joys and concerns we shared earlier this morning are the, the most visible manifestation of this. The meals we deliver to families in need is another. Comforting seems to go on all the time. I have seen people give and receive comfort in the same morning. This is often true of any community, but particularly in a congregation. If you choose to be religious and show up at a church for the first time, one of the things you get is an instant community. A community like this one, and others, welcomes you and allows you to settle into the life of the community at your own pace and on largely your own terms. You can draw what you will from the community, and what you take can evolve over time. Also, as you grow into the community, you inherit the community's heritage. So for all that you receive, what are you expected to give? The simple answer is the church needs you: time, talent, and treasure. You've heard that before. Churches have had lots of practice asking for treasure. But I happen to think your time and talents are of the greater need. What you're expected to give depends on the talents you were born with and the skills you've developed over the years. You have to know yourself to decide what to give. I also believe you will intuitively know how much is enough. You will reach a point where it feels right, like you're carrying your share of the weight. In general, you should give what you do best. This will maximize how much value you deliver for each hour you contribute, and you're likely to enjoy it more in the process. You might also have a talent or training that no one else has. That would be particularly appreciated. Also, every organization needs leaders. In a congregation like this, we try to encourage people to lead for a while, and then step back, And rest and let others do it that's what term limits are for leading is a lot of work and it can be tedious the year I was president the board seemed to spend an awful lot of time dealing with HVAC issues and water pumps I got so weary of hearing about water pumps what may surprise you to learn is that the roles like that have their own rewards There is a certain pride you get from knowing that you're serving everyone in the congregation. Now, for those of you who don't know me, I make my living as an accountant. And there is an occupational hazard in that I tend to see numerical patterns and relationships that others don't. There's a curious phenomenon that I have noticed that seems to apply to congregations and other similar organizations. I call it the multiplier effect, and I'll try to explain with an example. If I have 12 people in my choir singing one morning, and there are 120 people in the congreg- in the sanctuary, that's a ratio of one to 10. You can make the case that each singer's contribution is multiplied by at least 10, if not 120. Note, please, that since each of you hears the singer's voice equally, the gift is multiplied, not diluted. If you walk down the hall in the gallery during the member's art show we have each year, each member's contribution is multiplied by the number of people who stop and pause a moment to look at it. Dick Roblin at this moment is making a lot of coffee. It takes an awful lot of volunteer hours to keep this place running and functioning each week. Some contributions are easy to see and some go practically unnoticed. Almost all of the contributions are subject to this multiplier effect. When you think about it, the number of hours given when multiplied by almost any factor is an extraordinary amount of value. In my opinion, because of the multiplier effect, it is mathematically inevitable that you will derive more from the congregation than you can ever put into it. At the risk of sounding irreverent, I call it God's Ponzi scheme. In summary, I believe that solar spirituality is possible, but there are gaps or at least opportunities, lost opportunities for a richer, more diverse <clears throat> and more challenging experience. I further believe that being religious in the right tradition can offer bonds that connect and support but do not constrict. Finally, congregational life is rewarding, demanding, comforting, and challenging it's also more than the sum of its parts